So in this episode of TechSS, I'm going to be explaining why you need to know the difference between your CC and your BCC. Welcome to TechSess, the show about helping you to get the right technology and cybersecurity in place to enable your business to be more safe and successful. I'm your host, Mark Riddell, Managing Director of M3 Networks. Over 140 businesses across the UK use us to put an end to staff complaints about frustrating IT problems. So one of the things that it's quite easy to take for granted is using email. It's amazing that it's 2023 and we're still talking about email and security. If you ever heard me talking about cybersecurity, you might remember that I've quoted stats of over 90% of cyber attacks start with an email. And it's because it's widely used, everyone uses it, and it's a great way of actually getting directly to the user. We still have problems with email. And one of the big problems is that it's still one of the most widely reported ways of data breaches. And recently, the ICO, which is the Information Commissioner's Office here in the UK, published some guidance on sending built communications by email. And this is off the back of a number of cases that they've had to deal with where data breaches have, have been a result of email. And particularly, it's people using CC wrong. You know what these things are, right? We, we've all copied in a colleague into the CC field. But the BCC field, which is blind carbon copy, is when you want to send emails to multiple people without everyone else seeing who the email was sent to. I don't know whether people listening to this are going to know that or not. It's one of these things. It's like, is that a common thing? Is that something that you're aware of or are you not aware of it? Quite often in your email client, you might not even see the BCC field unless you actually click to actually show that. So again, this is the problem, I think, when it comes to technology and particularly when people are hiring staff, you make assumptions that, you know, someone knows how to, to use these things and to know what the difference is. And we'll come on to that a bit later and some of the guidance and some of the things that you can do to kind of prevent your company having a data breach as a result of this. But it is easy to take for granted that when you hire someone, they just automatically know stuff because you're making an assumption that, well, of course someone wouldn't copy a load of email addresses in a sensitive email and, you know, CC it to everyone, right? You would assume that. But actually, you wouldn't believe some of the things that actually kind of goes on. So what might seem like second nature and taken for granted is definitely not something you can just make an assumption of. What are the ICO saying about this? Well, they've actually published some guidance, which I'm going to share and kind of talk through and discuss with you kind of later on in the episode. But the director of regulatory cyber actually said recently that failure to use BCC correctly in emails is one of the top data breaches reported to us every year. And these breaches cause real harm, especially when sensitive personal information is involved. While BCC can be a useful function, it's not enough on its own to properly protect people's personal information. We're asking organisations to assess the nature of the information and the potential security risks when deciding on the best method to communicate with staff or customers. If organisations are sending any sensitive personal information electronically, they should use alternatives to BCC such as bulk email services, mail merge or secure data transfer services. 
This new guidance is part of our commitment to help organisations to get email security right. However, where we see negligent behaviour that puts people at risk of harm, we will not hesitate to use the full suite of enforcement tools available to us. And basically that means finding you. And one of the stories I wanted to share to kind of highlight what can actually happen as a result of getting this wrong is, this is something I was aware of for a while, but they've recently kind of produced kind of, I guess, a blog or article on the ICO website talking about how back in March this year, the ICO issued a reprimand to actually an NHS organisation, which was NHS Highland, for a serious breach of trust after a data breach which involved people likely to be accessing HIV services. And I'm going to share some of the stuff from that document. We'll put links to this in the show notes if you actually want to go and check this out for yourself. And basically what happened was NHS Highland had emailed out to 37 people who were accessing HIV services. And they inadvertently used the CC instead of the BCC. And this error meant that recipients of the email could see the personal email addresses of the other people who were also receiving this email with one person confirming that they recognised four other individuals and one of them was actually a previous sexual partner. So the ICC has applied its what they call public sector approach in this case. So if this was a private business, the ICO said that they would have issued a £35,000 fine. So it's almost £1,000 per email address. It's 37 emails, right? £35,000 fine. But instead, the regulator has issued a reprimand to NHS Highland in response to this breach. And the ICO's recommendations have been included in the NHS Highlands Information Government's Action Plan and an update will be provided to the ICO. So they basically have to prove that they're doing something about this. Like I said, if this was your business, £35,000 fine. It's pretty significant. So like I said earlier, failure to use BCC correctly is consistently reported as one of the top 10 results of a data breach or what they call class as a non-cyber breach so there hasn't been an attack or a compromise it was actually a user doing something stupid which is quite often the case and the ICO say that since 2019 there's been over a thousand breaches reported of this exact thing people just sending stuff out in CC and not BCC what are you going to do about it? it's usually what it comes down to right you know get some advice on what you can do in your business so there's obviously a number of things that you could do, but what I'm going to talk about, apart from recommending what I would do, let's kind of go through what the ICO are recommending. So they have, again, we'll share the links to this, they have an email and security resource page. Like I said, it's been updated fairly recently as well, so it's the latest information. And their guidance, as all guidance, will cover things that you must do, you should do, and you could do. Must means this is an actual legal requirement. Should and could are quite obvious what those things mean. So should is not legal requirement, but they expect you to comply with the law. Could means this is optional. So just to kind of clarify what those things must be. So they actually have a checklist of things, which again, we'll share the links to this, of things that you should do. But at a glance, 
even if an email doesn't contain anything sensitive in it, showing which people receive an email could still disclose sensitive or confidential information about them just by knowing who else received the email. You must, so you must assess what technical and organisational security measures are appropriate to protect personal information when sending bulk emails. So they class a bulk email as any email that's sent to multiple recipients. They don't actually specify whether that just means two or more, which I guess is multiple recipients. So take it as that. They say you should train your staff about security measures when sending bulk emails and you should include in your assessment consideration of whether using secure methods such as bulk email services or mail merge services is more appropriate rather than just relying on a process that uses blind carbon copy. And this helps to ensure you're not sharing personal information with other people by mistake. And finally, they say if you're only sending an email to a small number of recipients, you could consider sending each email individually rather than sending a bulk email. So if you're sending it to five or ten people, it wouldn't be that much effort to send five or ten separate emails instead because then you're pretty much guaranteeing that no one is going to see it that shouldn't see it. So in their checklist, they have a checklist of guidance that will help you as a business to kind of work through this. First thing is we recognise that email addresses alone can be personal information. So a lot of people have their name in their email addresses, business emails especially, but personal emails, quite often people will have their name, potentially their date of birth in their email. I'm sure people listening to this have still got an old Hotmail embarrassing email address from like the 90s that you, you probably you know, wouldn't want to put on like a CV or something like that. You know, you, you see some embarrassing ones. We've probably all had one of those. But anyway, or an old AOL or Yahoo.com address. But yeah, quite often, you know, the email address alone can be personal information. Because remember, personal information is like anything that identifies someone. If the email address identifies the person, that is personal information. Even if the email itself isn't sensitive. Next on the checklist is... We train all staff on using CC, carbon copy, and BCC when sending emails. So it comes back to what I said earlier. Are you just assuming that people know the difference in these things? You know, that next new hire, when you give them a computer and an email and they log into the 365 or everything else and they start sending emails out, is anyone actually having that conversation about, do you know the difference between CC and BC? I mean, it's a fairly, it's a fairly basic thing to make an, an assumption on, but... As you can see, this is one of the top ways that data breaches happen. So it clearly is a problem. There clearly is a lot of people that don't know about it. And also remember, I'm not sure myself the origins of these terms. Probably goes back to the days of like paper carbon copies. Remember we used to use the in between the sheets, you put the transfer paper. So when you wrote, you got the copy through, right? It'll go back to that. This is just an electronic kind of version of that, I guess. Younger staff coming into the workplace, these terms might not be familiar to them. The new generation of workforce coming into your business, do they even know what these things are? Do they know what the CC stands for carbon copy? They just see it in your email. It doesn't explain it in your email client, right? And do they know the difference between CC and BCC? So you have an obligation to train your staff to make sure they know what they're doing with these things. Next up, you have to assess what measures that you need to implement. So have you taken into account the nature of the information and the potential security risks and then balancing the cost of implementation 
against the benefits of, of doing this in a different way. Spending money on a solution to send emails securely, which we'll come on to in a bit later on, you got to weigh that up against the actual potential security risk. Do you use additional security measures or alternatives to email when sending sensitive or confidential information? So does this have to be an email? I guess that's one thing you want to ask yourself. And are you regularly reviewing any policies that you have in place to make sure that anything that you have remains effective? There's a checklist that you can go and ask yourself when you're dealing with email in your business. And like I said, we'll include links and things to this below. Now, one of the things that the ICO talk about is mail merge. So one thing I want to actually then talk about, and again, there'll be a link to this because it's too technical to kind of go through in an audio format where you're going to be listening to this, is how to use mail merge to send bulk email messages. And did you even know this was a thing? I think a lot of people were familiar with mail merge, like I'm going to do a mail merge in Word, and traditionally mail merge has been to print something, right? So you might want to do a mail merge of addresses into a letter and then print out all the letters, right? Or you want to change the the name so it'll say, you know, Dear Mark or Dear Neil or whoever, and it'll change, you know, it'll insert that from a list. Traditionally, you'd have like a an Excel database with names and addresses and you'd link that into your Word document and then Word will do a mail merge for you. You can send it off to your printer and you'll get all those individual personalised letters, right? Now, that's a common thing. Um, we still do that in our business from time to time when we're sending things out and a lot of businesses will do that if you ever get any spam stuff sent to you through your mailbox at home that's done through a mail merge and there'll be an Excel file somewhere in the background that has all these details somewhere there may be more sophisticated things being used um, today but on the basis of it you have a, a data set which is usually a list of names and addresses and you merge that into a template or a common document, like a, a letter that you're going to send out to lots of different people. But you can also do this with email. And a lot of people don't know this. So you can actually use that same list of names and addresses. Of course, you need email addresses in that too, if you're going to send an email, obviously. Um, but you can actually do a mail merge to email messages. Now, um, like I said, I'm not going to talk through step-by-step step how to do it because you probably won't be able to follow this just by listening to it. But when you're in Word and um, you go to start a mail merge, in the drop-down list, you'll have letters, envelopes, you know, the printed stuff, which people are familiar with using. Email messages is also an option. So you can actually set up and send out individual emails to a mailing list. And the beauty of that is that it's not using... CC or BCC is actually going to send individual emails to each of those people without you having to create every single email it's going to do it automatically for you all you need is the data list your source data and then create your email all the people's names and stuff into the email and send them all out automatically for you now one thing you do have to be careful with is that you probably don't want to do this kind of on mass, right? You don't want to be sending like like 10,000 emails through your Outlook account because it's a good chance you're probably going to get blocked as a spammer if you do that. If you're sending out 10,000 emails anyway, you probably don't want to be using a mail merge or using your own Outlook. You probably want to find a better bulk email solution to do that, right? So something like MailChimp or, you know, one of these email solutions. Constant Contact is another one that I'm 
not used, but I'm aware of and familiar. So yeah, you probably want to find a better solution than doing that. Now, the one thing I would recommend if you are sending out really sensitive information is, and I'll bring you more on that soon, but first, here's Annie with a Texas tech update. But first up, I just want to tell you a little bit about the IT services buyer's guide that we have. This is a free document on our website. You don't have to enter any information to get access to it. You just need to head over to www.m3networks.co.uk forward slash buyer's guide and you'll be able to click the link and get the download. And this is going to give you loads of information to help you understand the questions that you need to ask any potential IT partner in your business or indeed just go back and ask these questions to your existing IT company and then you can help find out whether you're being served correctly and whether there's any gaps in the IT support services that you are being offered. Now, let's get back to the episode. Hey, it's Annie with your latest tech update. Did you know that 60% of phishing websites are only online for 10 minutes? These are fake sites that try to trick you into entering your login details or get you to download malware. The idea is that cybercriminals drive huge amounts of traffic to them, scam people, then take down the site before it can be detected. Not good. But don't worry, Google Chrome is here to protect your business. The browser has been checking every URL you visit against a naughty list, updated every 30 to 60 minutes. Now it's switching on enhanced safe browsing for everyone. This checks URLs in real time, and if it detects a scam, it won't let you visit. Does this mean Google will know every URL you visit? Yes. But it's promised not to use this info for other features like targeted advertising. Do you need help protecting your business from cyber threats? We can help. Get in touch. That's your tech update. More next week. So the one thing I would recommend any businesses that send in sensitive information is to use an encrypted email service. Now, something that we offer to our customers, your IT company might offer something similar if you go and ask them. And it's not something every business needs, let's be honest, but we have some customers that may have to send legal documents or documents that are related to people's health records or just anything that you want to make sure is going to be encrypted and just get to the person it's meant to get to. And there's a few other benefits to using an email encryption service. One, you retain control of the email. So to give you an example, what I mean by that is if I send you an email, I can control whether you can forward that email to someone else. That's quite powerful. I can also track if you've opened it, if you've read it, what you've done with that email. So if I didn't stop you from forwarding it and you did forward it to someone else, I would know who you forwarded it to. So I'm retaining that audit log of knowing who has received this email and what's been done with it after I sent it. I can also put a time limit on it. You know, cue the Mission Impossible countdown here, where I can say this message will self-destruct in 24 hours or something. So if I want to send you a piece of information in email, I can restrict how much time you can access that email for. Say, right, okay, you don't need to have access to it long term. The other problem that using an email encryption secure email service solves is sending large files by email. Now, I did talk about recently in one of our tech updates, Microsoft are 
about to solve this problem for us all by integrating Outlook and email attachments with your OneDrive so that you basically don't send the large file, it just links it through OneDrive and gives access to it um, to the recipient. Secure email systems can also allow you to do this as well by transferring and storing that attachment in the secure email service and then the person gets access to it. Now, the way in which these email encryption services work, just to kind of explain a little bit without getting too technical, is that you don't actually send an email to the person at all. Effectively, what you do is you send email into your email encryption service. The email encryption service invites the recipient to access the email within your portal. So the first time you send an email to someone, they do have to create a login to the email encryption service, right? People might see that as a bit of a pain or whatever. I say, if you're taking email and data protection seriously, I don't think it's really much of a problem to ask people to log in, especially if you're sending this data to an individual, they will probably appreciate the fact that you're taking steps to secure this data, right? If a hospital or a doctor or someone was sending me something that was personal to me about like my medical records or test results or something, I would actually feel pretty comfortable and confident and be happy that they're actually putting security in place to make sure that only I can log in and access that data. It's not just being sent to me as a normal email that anyone who picks up my phone and locks it could then look at that email message. So it does actually show commitment to your customers. So if you're a solicitor or an estate agent or you know a business that's dealing with legal sensitive things, your customers are going to be really happy that you're actually taking these things seriously. So it's one thing to be positive about. Don't look at something as a roadblock to, to actually improving security. So this week's intriguing intel of the week. The intriguing intel of the week is where I share a fun tech fact, something you probably don't know and pretty sure it's going to be something that you tell all of the other guys in the office about. And I'm happy for you to steal that you know this and it didn't just come from just listening to the Texas podcast. So you can look really smart to your colleagues. The first computer to be marketed as a laptop was called the Gavilan SC in May 1983. So I was definitely still in nappies so what i was about 11 months old when that kind of came out and it was priced at just over three thousand pounds and it weighed four kilograms which is about nine pounds probably what i weighed back then and it was powered by a five megahertz intel 8088 chip oh and it also ran on ms dos so don't believe everyone when they say things were better back in the past Gigglebytes. So Gigglebytes is where I share my favourite tech-related joke of the week. My joke this week is actually, it's quite an old one, and a lot of people in the IT industry have maybe heard this, but you might not be aware of it. And I'm not going to explain it to you, I'm just going to leave it, and you can figure it out yourself. Here it is. There are ten types of people in this world, those who understand binary and those who don't. you'd like a quick chat with me about anything I've discussed in this episode, or you have a specific question about any aspect of your IT or cybersecurity, you can book a call in my diary. Just head over to www.m3networks.co.uk forward slash meet Mark. And finally, if you enjoyed this episode, 
please make sure to follow or subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcast app for future episodes where I'll dive deeper into other IT and cyber related topics. Texas is an M3 Networks podcast. Find out more at m3networks.co.uk.